Hey there, welcome to Jenny and Paul Sell Out. This is the podcast where culture matters and uh, selling out doesn't. Uh, my name is Paul Riesmandel. I'm one half of the sellout team. Joining me shortly will be Jenny Benevento, my co-host, as well as our guest this week, Toby Greenwald. He is the virtual services coordinator at Skokie Public Library, but also, and importantly, he is a college radio veteran. He is a music lover, and he's going to share with us the tale of how he was blacklisted by CMJ, the College Music Journal. Also on this program, uh, we will first tackle our new segment, Things We Like. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, keep the MP3 player right where it is and keep listening to Jenny and Paul sell out. All right. Well, um, I, I think that I start. Yeah, I started recording. Oh, yeah. Sweet. So um, hello, Jenny, and, and hello, Toby. Hi. Uh, Toby, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, my name is Toby Greenwald. Thank you, both of you, for, for allowing me to uh, join your lovely podcast. Uh, I'm a librarian. I live in Chicago. Um, I work at the Stokey Public Library, where I do a bunch of kind of, well, my title is Virtual Services Coordinator, so I do a bunch of fun web stuff, user experience kind of stuff. And But I've you know, I, I've been listening to the podcast for a while, and it seemed like a lot of fun, and I wrote Jenny an email asking to, if I could participate, and... Here I am. It's that easy. Yeah. Yeah. You went through the extensive process that we have <laughs> for getting a guest. It was a tough. It was a tough battle just getting myself. You know, I had to duke it out with other people and the apprenticeship. Yeah. took a long time. Exactly, and and you just emailed us at jpsellout at gmail dot com. Yeah. That that's that's all it was. Or, or you could have tweeted us. That's that's all that's it takes true. to uh, sell out podcast initiate guest status. Yeah, pod guest Thunderdome. It's kind of like the game. It's really secret. Like right. you, you initiate it, and then we come and beat you up and put yeah. you in a dumpster. And there's like a lot of. I mean, I don't want to reveal too much. No, exactly. no, no, you wouldn't want to yeah. do that. Well, I opened my door one morning, and there was a set of headphones like right in front of me. <laughs> right, <and> exactly. <laughs> three podcasters enter. Right. Two podcasters leave. Well, and and you you're on Twitter. Yes, you, that, that's how I met you. Right. Um, I'm there as the analog divide, and yeah, you'll see me spout off art far too often about. Far too inconsequential of topics, and and of course joining is is the lovely Jenny Benevento, uh, who is always here. I'm Paul Reese Mendel. We never introduce ourselves. We never do. I, I, I started I last podcast in the uh, in my post hoc intro. I, I actually introduced us. It is eponymous, so I figure you you don't. They they should they should know our names. Yeah, I mean, by process of elimination. Yeah. Assuming that the gender that roles are, are are well <laughs> enshrined in their mind and, and typical. What you know? What people assume would be a woman's voice or a man's voice and names and everything else, they might figure out who's Jenny and who's Paul. That's true. That's true. But if they just happen to stumble upon it, didn't know it was on their iPod, they'd be all confused. It's true. Of course, with Toby, that name can go either way. It's true. That's right. Could even, right. of course, more often than not, I always get, uh, you know, I had a dog named Toby. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> so, do you gender identify male, Toby? Is that am I? Yes, projecting I do. too much on you. I male and human, not canine. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. I am housebroken. 
<laughs> it's good to know. Good to know. It's good to know since you are in my house now. <laughs> exactly. In the podcastatorium here. I hate yes. to break it. Uh, inside Media Geek Central HQ. Uh, well, we're going to start off, I think, uh, this week with things we like this week. Uh-huh. I guess that's what we're calling this segment. This time period. I'll get a stinger. To get in, uh, that's radio talk for like a little theme, a little thing. Things we like. You know, when they get the guy talking with like the, the phone sound. You know, right. Things we like. Can I start doing morning zoo radio voices as well around that? Like morning. have a character, like have a racist character. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, isn't it always always the woman's job is is to tell the, the guys how bad they are. Oh, you you're guys so are terrible. Bad. You're so terrible. Oh, you're so terrible. Ladies don't like that. <laughs> Uh, so what do you what do you like this week, Jenny? I know you're very excited. I am excited. So I usually when I go out of town, I like to go to a record store and go to the dollar bin and pick up you know four or five CDs. And um, about half of them are things I'm okay with, but and I wouldn't have picked up, and I'm glad I heard. About one quarter of them are things that are terrible and I have to like throw across the room. And about one quarter are things I love. And um, since I'm moving, I found a bunch of these CDs that I never really listened to. So. Um, I I found one I really liked, and in fact, the band is still together, and they're putting out a new album next month, and they're touring and such, and they seem to be on the on the brink of stardom. So Ooh. you heard it here first. Uh, they're called Peach Cake. It's one word. Um, they are, from what I can tell from the historical research I did, uh, they're from outside of Phoenix. They. Um, are members of for- they're formerly members of hardcore bands, and the I think lead singer used to be uh, in a screamo band for for three years, but they are kind of like a um, electronic uh, dance punk band. Okay, like the Rapture or uh... Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, I would compare them to sort of like a Ghostland Observatory. I think their slower songs really remind me of the Postal Service, which is, of course, why I originally was like, "This is the greatest band ever." <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Because, okay. <laughs> like all Postal Service fans, I just want more albums. So, um, but uh, their live shows are said to be really amazing and uh, like kind of a, a performance arty sort of thing. In fact, their whole band, it seems some people think that they're sort of a parody of a dance, a dance <laughs> punk band. Um, and then they say that they're, uh, they are, um, they, they just want everyone to have a great time. It's sort of, again, like, I, I know I name check him all the time, but it is sort of like an Andrew WK show. Sort <laughs> the of, new sincerity. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a new sincerity movement. It's all about the new sincerity, okay. Um, but be, because especially based on our last show, there was, there was um, a quotation that was spoken about them that I thought... Um, was was would appeal to our audience, and it was um, Peach Cake has netted a loyal following, including some fans from unlikely corners. Winning over audiences has been one of the main measures of success for Pruitt, who's the singer. Uh, in Arizona, we opened for a band called Ozma. They're good pals of ours. At the show, we'd been doing a space themed thing, and I w- had this weird ass suit and a panda mask. And went over my whole head. This guy comes up and he says, Hey man, I just wanted to say, you guys were amazing tonight. I go to a lot of shows and you guys do it better. Even better than my favorite band of all time. So I asked what his favorite band of all time was. He peels back his sleeve and he has a Metallica tattoo. And I thought, Oh my God, the crowning glory moment of my life has come. Maybe Peach Cake is changing the world through electronic music, one tattooed metal fan at a time. So... 
Well, I, I will definitely have to, to check out the <laughs> Peach, Peach Cake. Cake. What's, their, what's their album called? Um, I don't know. It comes out in September, oh. so I don't even really know. So Wait, so how did you find out about I, Well, I, f- I have their older album. Oh, which their is, older album. I see. So, yeah, okay. they have a bunch. They, they only have two albums out. But, yeah, I, I think I would recommend anything by Peach Cake. Yeah. All right, Peach Cake. Toby. Yes. Did you bring a thing? I did. I was Show thinking about it and trying to kind of scramble across with what it was that was going to be my thing of the week. And then I realized that I've had a thing kind of all summer because um, I was going through, uh, well, it, it, it's an author named Megan Abbott. Um, I'm really into like crime books and, you know, well, kind of all the elements of it, true crime, film noir, uh, Crime comics, et cetera, et cetera. We have a reader was, in our midst. Yeah, well, it's kind of an <laughs> occupational hazard of being a librarian and all that. But it was through that um, she wrote an essay in the back matter of another comic book uh, called Criminal, uh, kind of talking about film noir conventions. And it's like, oh, you know, she seems really good. And so I read her most recent book, which was published last year, called The End of Everything, which isn't really a crime book, but there's it's crime adjacent. <laughs> And then I went back. I spent it's like the, a bad neighborhood. Exactly. <laughs> I spent the entire summer reading all of her other works, which are like straight crime books, kind of set in the you know forties and fifties in Los Angeles and all that kind of LA confidential type stuff. And she has a new book coming that came out um, just about a couple of weeks ago called Dare Me, and started reading that, and it's been really good. And she's um, well. I guess just continuing my obsession with her to the point where it's gotten me to it's I will be buying a Punisher comic book, which is a pretty big endorsement because I wouldn't ever touch that series um ever. Um but she's writing an issue and I was like, All right, well this must be I must be into this author. Right. So what is uh what is the best thing about about her? She's her, just her work? well beyond just kind of working with the the noir conventions, she does a really good job at just examining like the the interplay between the the people. Like she does a lot of stuff about kind of female friendship and the way there's kind of this mix of kinship and and competition uh between all the characters. There's one book she just wrote or one of the books um is called Queen Pin. It's about a kind of a mob boss who takes this this one girl under her wing, and kind of the way they they get involved with you know various plots against one another. And she's really pared down her prose to be really just kind of brutally effective. Uh, she's gotten you, know, you start reading it and you just realize she's just got a really good way with like really nasty phrases. And I'm. I'm a fan. Yeah, any any book where you can see the technique and gain an appreciation for it, I uh, give it the thumbs up. And her name is again Megan Abbott. Megan Abbott. Yes. And believe it or not, I'm reading. Whoa. Reading an actual book. I'm bad about reading books. I read a lot of. I read a lot of stuff online. I read a lot of magazines, and then every so often I'll actually endeavor into a book. And sometimes I even finish it. I'm halfway through this, but it's uh, Outlawed Journalist: The Life and Times of Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, written by William McKean, who I understand is his uh, sort of literary executor. And uh, I kind of came late to Hunter S. Thompson, well into my 30s. And I think it's the kind of thing that often appeals to uh, to 20-something young men who are all angry with the world and, and are the belly full of bile. Um, and I definitely had a belly full of bile when I was in my 20s, so I'm not sure how I didn't get turned on to him. But I, I got turned on to him in, in my 30s and I've quite enjoyed uh, reading much of his work, 
Uh, especially, of course, you know, it's very cliche, but uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. For instance, so I picked this up at the uh, on the discount table there at Powell's Book in Chicago. You know, for if anyone knows Powell's Book, not the same as Powell's, the city of books in Oregon, but an all-discount bookseller here in, in Chicago, which I shouldn't go into because you go in and you're like, oh, look it's at all this great stuff, and it's $3. Um, but I've, I've actually been reading it, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty breezy. It's uh, I would say it's it's uh, not the best sort of biography I've read, but uh, what it lacks in sort of um, more interesting prose, it makes up for in being quite breezy. Maybe not quite critical enough, although I guess that's understandable given uh, McKean's relationship to Andres Thompson. He does acknowledge that, um, say, Hunter didn't always have great relationships with women. And say, I find that shocking. <laughs> say maybe had slapped his first wife around a little bit. Uh, it's acknowledged, although no real dwelling on it. Uh, you know, uh, but uh, other other than that, it, it does it gives some some reasonable insight, especially in, in the way it goes into his early life. Is he any relation to Michael McKean? No, okay. uh, spelled M C K K E E N. Okay, not K K E A N. So is it Michael McKean or Michael McKean? I never know the I right. I don't know. I thought it was McKean. Yeah, okay, you talked about technique. I mean, that was something Hunter Thompson had in spades. So yes, just, exactly. As I remember, because I, I I went through that phase actually even before my twenties. I guess I was a early. <laughs> I was angered. quick to grow to to develop that healthy sense of rage and read his their. At the time, they had published his letters in a couple of volumes. And, oh, his letters are hysterical. And just the ones he was <laughs> writing to you know, his editors and different publishers and just the degree of craft to just you know, these little one-off you know, couple sentences was, was just remarkable. Right. I had um, previously read uh, Ralph Stedman's book mm. about his times with Hunter, which, are, which is a, a somewhat more entertaining read. Uh, Ralph Stedman was his illustrator, known for all those crazy, uh, screwed-up drawings that dotted many of his books. Also, uh, is the illustrator for Flying Dog Beer. Um, and uh, it definitely gives you a different perspective on, on Hunter, in part the way that he sort of, I think, terrorized everybody he knew. I think to know Hunter was to be terrorized by him. <laughs> <laughs> hysterically right and in many many letters many of his letters in which you know i think the liberal use of words like pig fucker uh come up so entertaining well talent really i think gives people uh it lets lets them act out a little bit more people are more willing to put up with it yeah uh yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. And, and and you know what comes up in in this book and i think in stedman's book is that inside of all of that sort of surface level seeming abuse there was a lot of um a lot of loyalty he'd bail a lot of people out do what he could for a lot of people if they it reached his inner circle you know just had weird ways of showing just weird ways weird ways of showing it you know you just to get accustomed to being held at gunpoint at some point and you're right. uh, hanging out with him possibly being shot but usually not not fatally I remember that story of when they were shooting Film and Lothian in Las Vegas, the, the film adaptation. and They were saying, they were all praising Johnny Depp's performance and how he nailed Hunter Thompson's character and mannerisms. And Hunter's response was, well, if he's going to be me, I'm going to be him. And so he stole Johnny Depp's car and <laughs> disappeared for a few days claiming to be him. 
The book is uh, Outlaw Journalist, A Life and Times of Hunter S. Thompson by William McKean, K-E-E-N. So that's our things of the week. Although it's not weekly. Uh, things of the bi-weekly. Things, things we of the like. fortnight. Things, we, things <laughs> of the fortnight. <laughs> that's part of our um, renaissance fair that we, <laughs> that we um, <laughs> are sponsoring. Yeah, because I love renaissance fairs love so much. Let's celebrate a time when people mostly lived in their own filth. Let's, let's do that. All right. Well, so, uh, Toby, we had you in uh, to talk a little bit about uh, culture and, uh, and music in particular here. And you and I share something in common uh, in both having uh, been in college radio. Yes. So tell me about uh, what, what you did in college radio. Well, where? let's see. I was pretty active in my school's college radio station. I went to Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, which is somewhere roughly uh, – in the center-ish, west of center-ish of the of this fine state, and um, uh, we had a good station. We had a lot of we had a lot of active people. Ninety point seven WVKC at the time we were Radio Free Galesburg, but I think they've since sort of rebranded themselves back to their or actually rebranded to their original title, which was the Voice of Knox College, hence the VKC there. But um, I I had several shows uh, basically from the get go. Um, we by the end of that year we had one of the the big morning blocks. Um, we did what two or three days a week there um, in that kind of the drive time segment. Um, about halfway through my sophomore year, I became music director, so I started uh, soliciting all of the all of the record labels. And so that was Swag Central. Yes, precisely for for CDs and all sorts of other stuff. And um, then by the time I graduated, I was running the station, so I got to make all the you know the hiring and programming and all those other decisions, all for that fun minimum wage paycheck. Oh, they paid you? They paid me. Well, that's unusual. Poorly. Actually, well, it was a they it it ended up being you know it was a work study. I see. How it, mm-hmm. how it got classified. So, um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. We. Uh, you know, I got to go to CMJ uh, one year, and, uh, and CMJ uh, uh, the College Music Journal, which is the basically the industry publication for the college radio industry. But I, you know, I used quotes around industry because really it's just a bunch of you know bored college kids spinning whatever CDs they happen to have. Well, except around them. I mean CMJ, I, yeah, uh, the CMJ has much more commercial tendencies now. Well, it does, and that's kind of what and, and got it kind of developed in, tr- in the '90s. That's kind of what got me in trouble with that. Uh huh. Um, I mean, of course, you know, college radio in its heyday. I mean, if you think about you know the eighties, I mean, how the fact that what we now know as indie rock and what became you know what was previously known as alternative rock before that was known as college rock, and you know all the bands like you know the Pixies and REM and all these other people, they came out of these scenes of and really strongly influenced by college radio. And I, I kind of feel like at the time I was in school, we were at the in kind of the the trailing end of that curve, where where college radio as an influencer on what what bubbled up from the underground um, was dying out, and that was mainly influenced by the internet. You know, in my my sophomore year was when Napster hit, and I'd sit in my room with my roommate and just download track after track and you know obscure stuff. Top forty stuff, you know, just whatever kind of came to our mind, and it reached the point where one day our the the computer that we shared started making these strange noises, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And we finally realized it's because the hard drive was completely full, 
and was it was straining to you know access any of the normal like system you know, files operating and stuff. system yeah, files yeah. And, and so on uh and so that started replacing that and i i, I feel that that's had kind of the trailing influence and i think at the time um this was about my senior year um cmj started to change their 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 structures they started phasing out a lot of their niche charts they had some things like for for electronic music and um you know just jazz and metal and you know some of these other um and started bringing in more commercial radio things i had noticed this over the last couple of weeks because this is probably one of the only people who was actually reading the reading it for the articles as opposed to just going and looking to see where my so the, in what the CMJ, I reported it was a weekly thing, right? Yeah, it's yeah. sort of like Billboard, right? And it, you would it, report it your was charts. Billboard for yeah. the industry, and that's actually what got me in trouble because I started looking at these at these retail charts that they were showing. And as an experiment, over a couple of weeks' time, I took what was showing up on the the AirPlay reporting charts because they do a CMJ Top 200 uh, every week uh, based on what people you know report as having having been played regularly, and of course. This time it was a largely unregulated, you know, people, promoters would call us up, you know, how many spins is this getting? Oh, you know, however many. And because most of us didn't have a really strong mechanism, or well, if we did, it usually wasn't more than hash marks. Well, and, you, and it was because your DJs picked what they played. Right, and DJs, I mean, we were a completely freeform station. We tried to mandate that people played at least a couple of tracks of our rotation, which was, again, the free stuff, the label sent us um, per show. But most of the time, people were just playing what they what they brought in. <clears throat> what um, so I, I, looking at, I did a comparison of what was on the the retail chart versus what was on the uh, the the airplay chart. You know, what was actually reflective of what the body of the the CMJ readership, yeah, yeah, what they were actually playing, and there was a pretty low correlation. It was like mm-hmm. less than twenty percent of the songs that were on there matched up. And I was like, well, you know, what are they doing here? Are they really trying to reflect? Are they here to report on us or are they trying to dictate things to them? And at the same time, their editorial content took a very different tone as well. You started seeing these articles that were very, like, uh, dictatorial, you know, saying, you know, uh, you need to be more professional. You need to start doing all this other stuff. And, you know, again, it's a bunch of bored college kids playing whatever you know trying to find something to fill the time in between classes and or drinking sometimes actually it, it, the drinking took place during the radio stuff but <laughs> we don't talk about that. right what happens in the <laughs> studio stays in the studio we uh so I, t- I took this and noting this correlation i decided to respond in the most uh you know, the most professional way i could in which i i cut out the pages from that issue Mailed them back to CMJ saying, I think there's a misprint in which you've been sending me pages from Billboard inside my copy of CMJ. And again, I was being a smartass who's too clever for his own good. What happened then was I got an email from the editor-in-chief who was like, well, you know, Toby, when you get out of your fantasy world, you're going to – you'll realize that there's – far different forces at play here. And I was like, so they responded professionally. Yes. So this, is, <laughs> this is like 1999, 2000? Uh, yeah, 2000, uh, spring of 2002. 2002, okay, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I ended up responding equally professionally in which I, I took that email and forwarded it to every other college radio person and or promoter I knew. And luckily all the promoters, they have their email blasts and 
some people forget to blind CC. So mm-hmm. it just helped it spread out even further. And it went viral, if you will. Yes, before such a thing even existed, just with the email getting forwarded one way or the other. And so that brought a whole bunch of other information out of the woodwork. This guy, um, he came from commercial radio. He ran a public, he, he worked for a different publication, uh, apparently ran afoul of a bunch of people, which ended up him going to CMJ. Hmm. Um, regardless, uh, then I ended up getting a phone call from him where he started issuing threats. He was like, well, you know, you're, you're blacklisted from the radio industry. And I'm like, no, I'm graduating in two months. I have no plan. I was never planning to get involved in the music industry. And, and just thinking college. of that, 2002 right, was the exactly. part of a precipitous decline in the commercial radio exactly. industry. Secondly, you know, I, we just went through this age where the internet completely destroyed everything about that made you know, radio as a medium a, a force for the discovery of music. You know, we're now in a phase where you can pick. You know, I, if I had I known what I know now, they said, well, you know, ten years from now, we're not going to be looking college radio for this stuff. It's it's still going to be what's going to stay the same about college radio is what exists currently: a bunch of bored college kids doing their thing. And you know, it, the the conversation basically ended with him saying, "All right, well, we're through here. You've burned your bridge. Don't ever expect anything from." Yeah, the music industry. Mm. <laughs> I like that he personally was like, yeah, exactly. I am the music industry. As, you know, as the ambassador, <laughs> he probably had a sash. That, that record- a scepter. Right. Here's the thing, though, is that when I've, what I've learned, because, you know, I'm a college radio advisor right mm-hmm. now, and having my experience in college radio then, and then having talked now to pe- other people in college radio, is that... People assume you can ki- you can really uh, kick around college students and that they're very easily intimidated, right? <clears throat> In, including other college radio advisors. There's okay. there, uh, there's a story of one particularly bad guy. I don't want to get real into it. Who is closed stations and does so usually through threats and intimidation, all the way up to threatening uh, students with like the, that. As soon as they start to retaliate, oh, I'm going to sue you for defamation. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and an unfortunate thing is, you know, you're it's it's harder to call bullshit when not only are you, you know, a college student, therefore you have a lot of better things to worry about, but as well, maybe you don't have quite as much world experience, and this person you're supposed to accept as uh, as sort of a, a senior to you as a mentor, and I think same thing with the guy at CMJ, like I'm the mm-hmm. boss of you, even though you're at the station and you're ostensibly the boss of your station, right? Right, you know, and so I can intimidate the hell out of you, and you'll never know better, and uh, of course you did know better, right. But, but if there's anyone I don't want to get in a bitchy fight with, it's people who don't have a real job and have like a lot you mean like of time. A college radio advisor? Yeah. No, 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 I mean like a college student. Like I feel like college students have like endless amounts of time. Sure, like yeah. I don't really think they're actually that busy because they sleep for like three hours a day right, yeah. and probably get drunk and will like send all of their friends my email address and it will be like a four chan ter- terrible thing. So well, you know that's the funny thing. I think you were on the threshold there. You right. caught him at this at this threshold change where probably somebody who had, who was in the radio industry and then moved to CMJ did not yet understand the full threat of new media across the board. So not just merely how it was going to threaten the uh the the business model of radio, but also how it might 
place a lot more power in your hands to to uh, to spread publicity far and wide and create more trouble than you might have been able to easily do ten years prior. Absolutely. I mean, how I mean the the people who might have been blacklisted, who might have taken that more seriously, might have gone off and made their own you know music podcast or done something like. Right. You know, like the Flux blog, the you know those singles blogs were that really did a lot more to advance a lot of those those bands in the early nineties. That's where people were. Somewhere in the two thousand, CMJ also started pulling something, which they which they went back on, but a lot of stations left because if they uh, stations were reporting tracks or albums which they didn't have in their database. Right. They would replace it with something they did have in their database. So you could see something that you reported and, all of a sudden replaced with, like, Beck's new album. And that was the same guy who did that. <laughs> there, this happened, because uh, that, that, they didn't yeah. start doing that until after I had graduated yeah. and left. And, but when that happened, I'd, I had that the message, because it got published in some alternative weekly in, in the Bay Area. And about half a dozen people forwarded it to mm-hmm. me. They were like, hey, your buddy's at it again. Well, it was and, a weird time because I was yeah. in college radio a, a decade ahead of you. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, at the time when we were moving from that kind of college radio, college rock to alternative rock, and, and it was pre-internet, so uh, all of a sudden college radio was thought by the industry to have a fair amount of authority, like, like the, the mainstream industry had caught on. To it, uh, not, not necessarily thinking that it had a lot of listeners, but that it had, you know, that it was more of tastemaker mm-hmm. kind of, and it was the begin to, beginning of trend spotting as being a thing, as being something which people would were employed in, and so that was sort of in in like the early '90s, we started getting a lot more service from major labels. They were started really pressuring us a lot more, and and you and CMJ started turned in from being sort of a flimsy kind of. To a very glossy, thick, filled with major label ads publication, right. and that's really when the money started to pouring in. And I think more so by like the mid '90s, when when the full on sort of alternative rock explosion had hit had hit the mainstream, it was already starting to to, to peter out in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Well, and, and you'd see that in the way that the 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 PR people for these these record labels would would approach you. I'd end up getting into these you know arguments of you know philosophical arguments with these people because this guy represented Interscope and he's trying to explain why, you know, the new Weezer album has to be, has to open at number one. Right. And they really try to convince you like, yo, just add it, just add it this week. Right. That's all exactly. we ask you to That's do. That's all we ask you to do. We'll send you whatever you want. You want free CDs, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, we'll do whatever you want a t-shirt, you know, we'll do that sort of thing. And, you know, of course at the time I was reading up on all that stuff and there's a great book called Hitmen about mm-hmm. kind of the, the music industry and how the, you know, the payola, payola scandals yeah. that rocked, Radio in in the fifties, and how none of that has really gone away. No, it just changes form. I mean, right. Clear Channel, I mean, got slapped uh, maybe a decade ago, mm-hmm. um, and then there's a lot of exposés written about them and how what they did is basically just ended up buying these sort of independent promoters, but keeping it as an independent company, right? Because it is sort of the the loophole in the payola law was well, if the independent promoter would give you money. To help you throw a party or right. help you throw an event, then that wasn't payola because it wasn't coming from the record label. And there were those coded phrases. Yeah, and, and you, you know, would how and, many copies do you need? And each copy being 
you know, a thousand dollars. Right. And, and, and you would look at a stations, uh, some of the more, uh, influential commercial pop and rock stations and their bottom line. And you would see like the, uh, payments for independent promoters would make up like a very large portion of their <laughs> annual income. Uh, in some cases competing with advertising, uh, because if you were like, you know, New York's, uh, top, you know, rated contemporary hit radio, right. You know, getting, which is one track on there was, considered to be you know tremendous but which meant that to get a pop single on the radio and it's still kind of the case it would cost uh the record label by the independent promoter half a million dollars Mm -hmm. well and the other thing i think is a little bit interesting is based on the time period you're talking about toby it seems like those uh magazines and you know their their conference associated conferences which which are becoming more professional are also becoming more appealing to actual fans. So, like, mm-hmm. at the time when they're trying to be, you know, I think it would be a really useful thing to have a, a professionals-only conference for that sort of stuff, and South by Southwest is the same way. It's now crowding out. The professional aspect of that is being crowded out by fans being like, well, I can pay to go to this. Right. I mean, you know? CMJ's big cash cow now is the music showcase. Right. I mean, the fact that hundreds upon hundreds of bands descend upon New York City and play... You know, hundreds upon hundreds of shows in the span of a weekend. Kind of like South by Southwest. Right, exactly. right, and I know professionals who go to that event who are now like, this sucks, I'm not going mm-hmm. to this anymore because I I'm can't get to see anything. the things I actually need to do for my job. Right. Right, so and I mean, at the same time they're going professional, it's actually like deprofessionalizing. And right. in the 90s, it really was only radio. I mean, it was really only radio and, and the bands and mm-hmm. the college music industry you know, such as it such as it was, and it really wasn't so much fans. And I'm, I don't, I mean, maybe fans could go, but I my recollection is that you actually had to have a station affiliation or industry affiliation to go. I, I kind of think it wasn't general. Well, public. why would you even know about it if you were? Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't. Yeah, if you lived in, in New York and were in maybe. that sphere, right. you'd know about it. But I mean, then it was, you would probably also have an inside track. Right. It was kind of a hybridized thing. I think. I mean, with mm-hmm. our badges, we could get into shows for free, but. A lot of the shows were open to the public mm-hmm. that people could go to, and that was a time for industry execs to fet college students and uh, right. <laughs> supply you with underage liquor. I'm uh, sure, uh, and, right, right, and, and other things. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and it, I mean that speaks to what you were saying about how at at, at the early time it, people started doing the trend spotting thing and started looking for these things that kind of emerged organically. But there's also this this reflexive element where people were trying to create their own, trying to make something look like it's emerging organically. Mm-hmm. You know, they're saying, we're going to, we're going to have you play all these artists when really it's just something that they've, you know, they're trying to do the same thing they did with commercial radio. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. And it just that what they found is that within the college radio sphere, it, it looked like mm-hmm. it was coming up right from the grassroots coming up from the underground or something like that. Right. Well, the best example of that, I think in my time was the strokes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was a band that had, I mean, they're all, the you know, Julian Casablancas, the lead singer, his dad was a record exec, right? And at that time, that's all you heard about. I mean, there was some serious promotion. I mean, there were four different promoters seriously pushing it on on us. And you think station. about it. I mean, and it, for people who don't know as much about college radio, I mean, this is a small college radio in Galesburg, Illinois. Right. For people who don't know Galesburg, it's what twenty thousand people. Do they have a Walmart? 
They do have a Walmart. They're <laughs> okay. a Dairy Queen. They're, uh, it, it's, it's, it was sad at the time, and it's grown increasingly sad. Yeah. You, I mean, it's it had about 35,000 when I was there. It's probably gone down. There's but a, it's the largest town in its area. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's a college town in the sense that there's a college, and then there's everything else, and the, t- the two don't really And the station matter. probably uh, hits a population of under 100,000, I would guess. Oh, yeah, easily. Um, and, and it's really your influence is, is it was not looked upon based upon the, the listening audience. Although you had one, I'm right. It does have one, I'm quite certain. But it was based upon your ability to chart mm-hmm. in, into the into the College Music Journal and or elsewhere. If you exactly, also we're able, we're pubs. as opposed to being tastemakers, we're part right. of one of these tiny little. You know, the, the same way you know the small five dollar donations go toward political candidates. We're part of that group that. You know, us and the people off in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee, in the middle of nowhere in Idaho, contribute to this groundswell of of interest and in reporting on the on the charts. So after you uh, were were um, blackballed mm-hmm. by by CMJ, and it's a weight that that sits simply <laughs> on. So has did, that? Well, can I interrupt? Is that have you seen any re- repercussions in the last? You know. 15 years occasionally about that. i see somebody following me with big headphones like kind of whispering into their, <laughs> their, their collar but and you know stations kind of go fuzzy when uh-huh. i walk by if okay. i try to turn them in they're always kind of they're like they start to yeah. go they but it's somebody wearing cost porta pros talking into a mini uh, micro cassette recorder <laughs> Right, exactly. They've got one of these big shoulder bags. Yeah, and, and they've they've got a bag phone. Right. Yeah. So they they they've they've come from. They're they're here to the future. The college radio mafia is. <laughs> exactly. I, they're trying to make sure they're trying to exert. Some they're soft silencing power you. Yeah. 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 But, but so did the. Um, uh, what would the re- Randy Quaid before? She <laughs> left. I wonder what the reper- were there any repercussions for this for the station? Did they did they quit accepting your charts? Um, no, no. I mean, okay. whatever it was. I mean, you know. Well, to, why bother? Because they're just making it up anyway. I mean, there's right. really no point. They needed the. They needed these numbers. Regard. So you know, f- f- all credit to to that guy. He kept it personal between me and mm-hmm. me and the organization, as opposed to taking it out well, on. And to this day, you've never worked I there. Represented. And to this day, I I've never been able to work at a college radio station or at CMJ in particular, <laughs> or at CMJ. That's true. Hi, welcome to the halfway point of episode eight of Jenny and Paul Sell Out. And this is Paul uh, taking our usual halftime break here to remind you that we really would love it if you would rate us on iTunes. You can click one of those little stars. It's even better if you can just write a few words that helps other people find out about the program and you can spread the love, spread the joy that is the Jenny and Paul Sellout Podcast. Uh, we have a Facebook page now. Go ahead and like us. Facebook.com slash podcast. And uh, as you'll hear in the second half of the program, uh, we're really interested in finding out from you 
If you are into music, how do you find out about new music these days? Are you still getting it from magazines or are you getting it from blogs? Do you get it from Pitchfork? You get it from radio? How are you discovering music? Uh, we, we'd like to find out because that's the whole whole part of the next uh, half of the podcast is a, is a discussion on uh, where do you find this kind of info these days. Uh, email us at jpsellout at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a comment at our website, which is selloutpodcast.com, or leave a comment on Facebook, or tweet us at selloutpodcast. We do want to hear from you. Then we will we'll share some of your responses and comments on a future edition of the podcast. But now we'll return to this great conversation with uh, Toby Greenwald, the virtual services coordinator at the Skokie Public Library and uh, former public uh, college radio general manager, a man who was blacklisted by the College Music Journal. Keep listening. And and so one of the things you were mentioning to me before, Toby, was how uh, you feel like though that your musical taste kind of then your college radio experience kind of froze, calcified your mm-hmm. musical taste. Well, there was a big change that happened when I left. I mean, and this is sort of the one drawback of when you leave college radio is that people stop giving you free music, mm-hmm. and you find you have to go out and actually exchange money for for this. And you don't also and, and even if you don't get the album yourself, right. you don't have this shelf full of CDs that you can listen to anytime right. and check out and and hear from people telling you what's good. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, I, you know, since then it's all been downhill. My tastes have kind of frozen since then, and I find when I do spend money for and I still do purchase a pretty sizable amount of of, of music, uh it's mostly to Deepen the the catalogs of the the artists that I do kind of subscribe to. Yeah, so who 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 are you subscribing to these days? Uh, well, what have I bought recently? I bought um, I bought the new Noctmistium album, um, and actually, since I didn't have no, that's 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 metal. It's Chicago that's metal. metal. That's Chicago metal. Even and yeah. were they? I mean, you didn't hear about them in college, or you did you? No, I didn't. No, uh, that's that's later. mainly just because of people I know who were associated with the band. <laughs> there, there's a, yeah, the weird librarian, uh, right? Librarian Chicago black metal, Chicago connection. black metal connection. Yes. <laughs> um, so I bought that, and that, since they had one of their previous albums on sale, that's from Century actually. Um, on vinyl, I, I, I decided to pick that up. Um, but you know, the other stuff I've been picking up has been reissued. Sugar just put out; uh, they just reissued their catalog, so I bought those. Um, uh, what else did I buy recently? Uh, it's it's all been stuff like that. It's like these bands that have been around for a long time. They've decided to like remaster their stuff and reissue. Oh, I hate it. that. And I hate that. I've so just tempting. been sucked into it, but I've already owned these I albums. Have, right, I, I own the albums, but I have no willpower, and they're they're so <laughs> new and pretty and shiny, and I just have to collect them. Yeah, I get I get really pissed off, and I'm like, wait, mm-hmm. is it really going to sound that much better? Ugh. I have three different versions of Andrew WK's first album, but he's re-releasing it, giving away locks of hair. How can you not pre-order it? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I can't. 
I, I, I'm with you in, in that. In that, it, it's difficult, uh, and it's only going to get difficult as you get older, uh, more difficult to stay on top or to, to sort of be introduced to new things. Because I think you and I talked a little bit about this in the metal show, Jenny, right. about how I, I my metal taste because I'm still mm-hmm. into metal, but my metal taste keeps getting more and more persnickety. Okay. And you're just less and less that I like. Like so, it's sort of like all these bands that sound like bands I love when I was when I was 16, right? It's a re- speed metal revival, mm-hmm. and I hear it and I go, "Wow!" If I were 16, <laughs> I, I listened to some of that stuff that you mentioned. I would and love it was it. terrible. I was like, "Well, you this- don't like that stuff." No, no, no. I do. Yeah. I like speed metal, but I was like, "Oh yeah, no, this is like something I would have listened like to." Like municipal waste. Yeah, yeah, I listened to them, and I was like, "Their vocals are terrible." <laughs> like I would have listened to this when I was 16, but now this is terrible. But if I pick up a violence record from 1986. It's, uh, it's okay. the same thing. But um, the thing we did talk about was, like, for metal, there's not really one source to go to. Like, there's not one authoritative source. And, but in it's indie true. rock, it does seem like there's more authoritative sources. Right. I mean, you get your, you know, your, your pitchfork and your stereo. And if you know what you like. Brooklyn Vegan stuff. Right. And if you know what you like, you can delve into that, that niche and just sort of explore. And especially since it's all often a pretty incestuous group. A lot of the same people are working on the same stuff. I guess the same thing happens with metal, too. Well, but, yeah. I mean, we're so we were talking about how it seems impossible to keep up in indie rock because it's so fast mm-hmm. as opposed and to And that's what's genres. happened. I mean, all the people, anybody who's new or anybody, any of these people that get talked about now, I have no idea who they are. And they, frankly, they don't sound anything like, they, they don't sound like anything different from any of these other bands I've known. Maybe it's just a case of them, you know, those influences kind of catching up to them. But yeah, I've I, I found that, you know, cause I used to kind of devour all that stuff and now it's just like, eh, I don't know. I'd rather go listen to that Bob Moldry issue. <laughs> yeah. In, in addition to it being hard to, to keep up, I think it's also, you do eventually sort of, you kind of get worn out, mm-hmm. right? There's just simple fatigue sets in. Because you're like because it's yeah. it, it's an album where maybe if you had the opportunity to to sit down or took the opportunity either way to sit down and listen to it ten or fifteen times you you would go oh okay right right I see the charms and I see how you know this how maybe on on the surface they sound like Modest Mouse but they mm-hmm. they have some other different thing going on but it's sort of in that that and I do it's that one track track sampling or in many cases half a track sampling mm-hmm. and you go eh. right right and it almost you know which, which <laughs> that you, is like the classic old man yeah you just made too reviewing records because you listen right. to something and you well just you have to i mean you get forward 30 you know 30 to 50 cds you know every couple of weeks and it's just like how do next, you next 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 how do you make decisions about what's what's good or not a lot of times it would be one of the other djs right who would then go to me I was like, how could you not be into this record? And you're like, I didn't really catch her. And they would be like, no, you got to listen to it again. You go, okay, all right, all right. And you would, and you'd realize that they were right. Right. Um, but uh, it, it takes, you know, and especially, or even when artists grow, like the second, uh, well, not, not the second, the second Faith No More album with uh, Mike Patton, uh, which was uh, Angel Dust. Right. Uh, I, was, I love the real thing. I listen to Angel Dust, which is a much more sort of sprawling and complex record. 
and I listen to it, and, and the first time I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. Like I just don't. Oh, well, it's you know. all over. It's hard to focus on right. any one element. You know, and I, and I, you know, I was like, oh well. And so I got one good faith and one record. And it, and, a, and a DJ friend, she was like, no, you got to listen to it again. Trust me, you just have right. to listen to it again. <laughs> and she like made, she like sat me down and played it, and I'm like, oh, I get it. And then played like once. <laughs> Over and over again. So yeah, it seems like there's two things that are kind of opposed. The idea that you know, it, when you were in radio, you got free records every week, so like you know, you didn't have to pick out music. But then at the same time, right now with Pitchfork type stuff, and I'm not saying either of these are wrong. I, I agree with both of these the statements, but the I, with Pitchfork and stuff, there's just too much music coming at you all of the time. And I understand the idea that you know you want to pay for the music you like, but the with the advent of the internet it seems like it would be really easy to get music and try it out for five minutes and be like not for me moving on so i mean how do you kind of resolve those two well i I just for me at that time i didn't have a job and i lived Hmm. in galesburg so (laughs) i could do i had the luxury of time to sit and plow through all of this stuff and, and go through it and of course now that I have to put all this stuff, you know, and through, you know, my job and my life and all this other and stuff. And you did a radio show. Right. And so you, you, you had I to had sort to, of I had an incentive yeah. to keep listening right. to stuff. Or, you know, there were cases where I'd just do a, you know, 2 to 4 a.m. shift and be like, all right, I've never heard this before. Let's see if it's any good and, and play that. And if it wasn't any good, you could stop it halfway through and take comfort in the fact that no one's actually listening. And you had a great recommendation engine. I mean, I think other mm-hmm. DJs or music directors – uh, this sort of social milieu were really important. Mm-hmm. Like even when I was doing community well, radio, you, my music director would say, "You will love this. This sounds like something you'd love." Um, you you know. get a network of trust, and if I really exactly. wanted to invest the time, I could do that myself. Now, well, with the way the you know the message boards and all that other stuff. Exists, well, and I think but, that stuff is trying to be that sort of thing, but it's just too many at the same time, right? So, I mean, I guess where is that now? Where do you see that going? Just in terms of just the the radio scene, or just well, in I mean, terms of where my tastes are. Well, I mean, I think like for people in our age group who are willing to buy music, much mm-hmm. m- much as opposed to like I think people who are seventeen. You know, I-, I think we grew up knowing that you have to give music, you have to give money for music. I think mm-hmm. everyone I know is fairly conscientious about that. So I I think it's in everyone's best interest who wants to make money off of music and everyone who wants to get good music that there would be a really awesome, very personalized recommendation engine. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. Pandora is trying to do that. And I mean, all of those music services sort of try and do that, but where, where do you see that going? I, how, how do you see that actually being successful in this? I'm not sure I happening? do. I think it's kind of a sucker's game. Cause there's always, <laughs> I mean, that's what it's taught me is that as I get older, the news, the amount, the sheer volume of new stuff has not diminished in any way, shape or form. And there's not really a way to, you, I mean, you can't you can't expect to get a, a handle on it. Mm-hmm. You just kind of get you you get swept yeah. up in it, or you decide to carve out a safe niche, which is I think is where I am. Yeah, and which is why I've kind of you're in your music cave, right? I've fallen into this sort of um, this this circle of nostalgia. But I think where you <laughs> are is, so. is is very typical of people in their 30s mm-hmm. through the advent of popular music. Oh yeah. Well, and I don't think. I mean, touring bands right now completely encourage. Well, you that. see that mm-hmm. I was just reading an article today about this you know, how the successful tours going on right now this summer are all like '90s nostalgia acts, right? I mean, all the bands that broke through, you know, that didn't not the not the huge bands, but the bands that had 
MTV hits. And, mm-hmm. You know, you have your, you know, the Gin Blossoms and Sugar Ray and uh, all of the, you know, your your staples of, you know, basically alt radio, alt rock commercial radio, are now touring like crazy and making like this huge. And, and I think part of it is people our age who who grew up on the stuff and were listening to it. And I think the other part of it is their kids who are discovering what their parents listen well, to, and then or for me, is, is there are cases like when the same I didn't get to see them, right? Yeah, whatever the band is, I didn't get to see them that first time around, and maybe they broke up or they just sort of fell out, mm-hmm. and so then you you they come through, and you're like, oh, I better go do this now because I didn't right. get to then, like when Soundgarden and I have the money. got back together. The, I mean, right. I and I, I have, have the money, the money yeah, and yeah. you yeah, can exactly. and you can do these things, but mm-hmm. that's yeah, and, and that's what I find myself doing now with you know, it's not. Uh, the, you, know, you know, like when Pavement got back together, you had to go see that. Or right. know, well, now that Guided by Voices is a going concern again, you know that's. But at the time, there was a time where it seemed like, oh, you know, this might be the last time they do this, so you go out and you do this. Right. Or, um, you know, like last year when Death from Above 1979 came back together, you know, we had to go and, and, and see that. Or, you know, like we went to the, we ran into each other at the Andrew WK 10th anniversary. Right. I get, I get wet, wet show. show. Tenth anniversary, really? I know, isn't Holy that crazy? Shit. No, I never right. would have thought. Of well, that. and we were Behold, the pretty the much the oldest people at yeah. the. <laughs> I mean, I think we were the only people who were out, who were alive, and like could have bought that right. record when exactly. it came out, which was, I think, the weirdest part about that show. I, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> seeing just the effect that it's had. I mean, we had one of the promotional items we got because that was one of the bands that that they were really trying to push. They were trying to break through college radio was Andrew WK and. We had this giant poster that was like, oh, I don't know, it was like uh, six feet by eight feet, and we put it on the ceiling of the studio, and it lasted about three weeks before someone stole it. It was really <laughs> was it the Bloody Nose poster? Yeah, I mean, it yeah, was yeah. The, the cover of the album. It, yeah. was, it was pretty spectacular, but um, it's gone. But, I mean, that's kind of the, you know, all I have, the only people I'm really drawn to now, the people I really want to see are those nostalgia acts. I was just thinking to myself is like how did I find out about anything I've purchased recently, especially things mm-hmm. that aren't part of my uh, repertoire, right? And there's not a lot of things I've purchased recently that aren't part of my repertoire. And I have to say, the things I've looked to frequently have been good record stores. Um, so because there a lot of good record stores have like um, they'll have like the, like a bunch of employee recommendations, at, often with a listening sec- section. And they'll have write-ups that right. are often reasonably detailed, paragraph or two paragraphs well, long. Yeah, you think of what they have at Reckless. Like Reckless Records. Uh, and um, there's uh, uh, Aquarius Records in San Francisco, which I like to go to as well when I'm there. Because uh, Aquarius tends towards that sort of black metal experimental music side okay. of my taste. And very rarely have I been let down by anything there. Where I've looked at the description and said, wow, from the description that sounds great. I've never heard of this, but I'll, I'll go I ahead and blow them. the 12 bucks." And never been disappointed. Certainly, similar similar things at Reckless, and I have definitely gone through the Reckless website mm-hmm. because they they post and, and you know and these are reviews of sorts, although they're not uh, record ratings. Like they're they're descriptive, although in some cases, if they really love something, they'll say something about mm-hmm. it. And and that's that's some place that I've gone to um, quite a bit. And there are still ma- uh, some music press that I read. There's a magazine called Signal to Noise, which is quarterly. Which is all about improvisational and experimental music, and so I learn a lot about a lot of things on that end of my music spectrum from that. From the other end, other things, yeah, it's sort of 
it comes all over the place, and mm-hmm. I don't have a single source that I go to. And you know, occasionally it's NPR music, which I I sort of hate to admit. Uh, and occasionally it's finding you know just a review online. I somewhere. think we've all had that sort of self-reflective moment where we go, "Wait a second, or you recognize a band that you were into doing one of the interstitials on NPR." Um, <laughs> that's sort of like, "Oh God, what's happening to me?" <laughs> I, I didn't turn into my parents, but I turned into someone's parents. <laughs> Uh, but of course, now that NPR does this thing where they have you go to the website and they'll have like an advanced stream you can, of an album, and you can listen to the whole album. Out. I really like that because they they don't cut you off. Right, you can keep listening to it and decide if you like it. Well, and you both are not big fans of the whole like Pandora, Spotify recommendation services. I assume. I've found my listening habits have changed a lot since. Like I, I used to love kind of the chance element behind it where I just put stuff on and, you know, let people present stuff to me. But I find I listen to music in much more concentrated bursts now. Like my focus has changed where I can't do stuff while I'm listening to music. I have to actually sit and like Mm. actively have it playing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, and, and so it's my use of those has, has kind of died off. I've also become kind of, also started to question you know just it from an industry standpoint and the way artists how little artists get paid off of spotify and so i feel a little guilty about mm. doing that uh, yeah but i mean if you discover an artist you like and buy their music yeah. out of it yeah. i mean well, i agree true. with you i think that's reasonable but um i mean for finding new artists at least mm-hmm. it's- i like spotify for checking out something i've heard about yes. and think i might like the recommendation engine on both Pandora and Spotify, I've used it less on Spotify. Me too, I'm more yeah. like, go listen mm-hmm. to something on Spotify. On Pandora, I, I find the recommendations are too narrow. So even even on a channel where I've invested a fair amount of adding in sounds like and adding right. in the thumbs up, it's too narrow. Are I'm your looking, stations like one band? No. So even on stations that where I've got like a, a whole pile of bands. Right. Very, you've curated and, and I can think of one or two bands that I got more interested in. Often not a new band, though. Like something that, I think that much was, more that's of a catalog artist. But very rarely, most of the time, I'm like, well, I mean, that just sounds like, you know. So like I really like the Smithereens. And so I've got like a channel that's like very power poppy and it you know and there's a bunch of other bands i've plussed and added and everything but i get a lot of stuff that sounds like the smithereens it sounds like kind of you know 90s power pop and and i find that yeah those are all great but i haven't found anything i really love because the elements of what i like about them um and 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 you've already got a smithereens i've already got a smithereens and and a couple of other artists that are similar like a cheap trick shows up all the time like okay i like those but all the other ones i feel like are just pale to my ears Mm -hmm. pale imitations they're not i'm not putting them down it's like i I, what i want what i would love to suggest is something that 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 is a little bit more um comes out at tangentially you know sort of like well it's got sort of the the harder edge of the smithereens Combined with this, you know, sardonic songwriting, you know, well, and and that's what they, that's what they, on paper at least, that's what Pandora purports to offer. Yeah, they it has say they have all me. these elements, but they've never quite. And maybe I'm I, weird. Gelled. Well, what I frequently do, and I think that the broader you get, the better it seems to work. And so mm-hmm. I'll do a, a combination of all of my stations, and that seems to work a lot better for that sort of thing. But I do think I agree. I never with, thought of that. I mm-hmm. do agree with you that I think that it usually suggest things and i i'm like i love this band i'm gonna listen to all their records except they broke up 20 years ago 
Right. Yeah. So like I love. There's this- a finite right. amount of bands in that <laughs> circle. I mean, like '90s power pop. All the bands that recorded '90s power pop are gone now. Yes. Well, no, there's they're only, on tour this well, year. Well, or they're on tour <laughs> as long as now it's, until this summer. They were <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's like a uh, like a 1980s Canadian hard rock band that I'm like, this band's awesome, right. but I'm never going to. Who's that? Prism. Uh, awesome is a word. Uh, I'm not sure. About, <laughs> I do know. Prism. I do know Prism. In fact, and <laughs> I had never heard of Prism. And Pandora I kept playing me Prism. I could see. I could see that though. I could yeah, see how you, you would see like how Prism. Prism. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, "Who is this band?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Prism. That's... There was a great essay. Um, it's in one of the best music writing volumes from a couple years ago um, about. Uh, well, it's all fake. I mean, it's a satirical thing about um, people who kind of like the, the Civil War reenactors, but of um, punk <laughs> shows from the early 80s. So they had this whole thing about you know, the people play, you know, recreating the, n- not just the, you know, not being like a tribute band, but the whole crowd was recreating like Black Flag <laughs> set in 1983 <laughs> when the police busted up yeah. the crowd, right? And how you had somebody, you know, in their. You know, playing Great Gin, who you know bashed one audience guy in the head, or you know Henry Rollins, you know, the person playing Henry Rollins, punching people, and I mean, it, it kind of speaks to that. You know, we're all trying to grab a hold of some otherness, some part that we weren't necessarily a part of, mm-hmm. but we want to kind of claim that as our own. Well, and they always say like, there's that Sublime cover band right. that makes more money than Sublime ever did, and yeah. more people go see it, because they just didn't have that opportunity. But by the time, well, yeah, by the time Sublime got popular, they were dead. They, they were, were dead. dead. <laughs> you know, go ahead, go ahead. No, I mean, I just wonder, so like, we've said that, you know, you're not using any of these alleys that are really aimed at getting people into music now, you know, the reviews, Pitchfork, Pandora type stuff. So who do you, who is consuming that? Somebody is. Well, somebody has to be, but because I mean, I think Pandora is still the most listened to station on the internet by right. a factor of 10. Right. Yeah. It's all those damn whippersnappers who won't get off my lawn. <laughs> I th- oh, I think you really, you really think it's like a nineteen-year-old kid it. who's listening to Pandora? No, I mean, I mean, I see well, no, secretaries I mean, at the university. Yeah, no, to Pandora. I mean, secretaries and 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 uh, pro- program assistants who who are twenty years older than 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 I. Yeah, listening uh, well, I, to Pandora. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking more like the Pitchfork. You think that's audience. the young kids? I mean, they're the people who read that and then they go and torrent it. Right. Well, it's the same, or you or know, they, I mean, it's the same kids who would have playlist or what have you. 20 years ago been reading Spin Magazine or Maxim Rock and Roll right. or going and getting imported copies of Mojo mm-hmm. um, you know or or New Music Express I mean you know who would have been looking and devouring whatever they could get about the newest music whichever way they could um, you know going to the Barnes and Noble and just you know reading every copy of every music magazine there you right. know while sipping as few, you know buying as few coffees as they could get away <laughs> with you know so I think you think it's that same? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I think so. It's us. It's a parallel. It's us, to but that. yeah, right. in that age group, right? Well, exactly. And 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 perhaps maybe there's more more people because simply put, it's more accessible. You don't have to try as hard mm-hmm. uh, in order to find it. And, and I'm going to be the non you get off my lawn guy and say I would argue that it's better now. I mean, despite the fact that I can complain personally about having more difficulty to pick through and keep mm-hmm. up and everything, but part of that's just being is you know knowing the right blog it's having right. you know who you're around and, and, and the blog is part of your milieu and as much as someone you know is part of your milieu 
So, you know, my saying I can't keep up is as much about being, you know, 41 years old and not 21 years old. Mm-hmm. But I say it's better because well, of the well, fact I'm, that it's so much more accessible. I'm happy to play the crotchety old bastard <laughs> because you know, when you were doing that in those days, because I was that kid who'd go to the coffee shop and just sit at the magazine rack with that cup of coffee and keep going back eating refills and going through every magazine trying to find people. You know, I'd send out for mail order catalogs and I'd save those. You know, even years after you know, any of this stuff was actually still available, I'd use it as a reference tool to find out, you know, oh, you know, I remember reading that, you know, I hear about some musicians, like, oh, yeah, they performed on this, you know, say their name was mentioned somewhere in the catalog. So you had to do a lot more work. So it felt more earned, almost. Whereas now you can pick up it's much easier to kind of absorb a lot of this stuff. Well, based on what you guys said earlier, I wonder if it, the lack of physical collecting is mm-hmm. part of it for you guys, too. Because, like, for me, that I could care less if it's on vinyl versus a remand. That, yeah. that doesn't and, bother and me. That's and that's changed my that's... habits, too. I mean, I buy, I mean, I buy tons of music, but probably about at least 75% of it is just the mp3 files i'll go to amazon i'm very very much in the middle of that and and partly because i'm really starting to look at my music collection and be overwhelmed by it yeah in terms of just its physicality and and how much i it will cost to move it at some point uh and but i was an e-music subscriber for a very long time and i loved e-music back when you got a fair amount for your money yeah that that it was mostly minor labels and indie labels i was Um, i thought it was great now that it's dominated more by major labels and you don't get nearly as much for your money i'm i'm less into it well yeah i mean i find i have tears like if there's something i'm trying out or if there's something i've heard a couple of songs on i'll go and buy the the mp3 or you know like amazon always has those sales where every month there's something that's 4.99 and so i'll go and i'll spend like three bucks buying records um, but that gets a lot for my money. But if there's like a legacy artist who I've really been into, then I'll go and I'll buy you know the LP for it, or you know that's or also do all the you know the guard, yard sale. Right. Yeah. Well, the yeah. other idea I think that might be a little antiquated Stuff. for people who listen, who you know, who are younger these days, and you guys both continue to use to this hour, and I wonder if that's your connection to uh, college radio is label. I mean, the idea <laughs> that like. The mo- the le- the smallest label now is someone who's not on a label who just produces their own music, and I think I want I wonder like that idea of just getting it directly from the person who produces it. I wonder because I, 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 yeah yeah because I really have no idea. I know that that so I'm you know as a college radio advisor, I know that for the college radio kids, label is still a big right. idea, and they speak often of labels because they mm-hmm. associate the label with a particular well, sound and label and is and label is a it's a curation, yeah. right? I mean, and you want to look at the label as a cultivator of a specific taste, yeah, right? But there's so many. I mean, I think there's so much success now of people who are not on mm-hmm. on the label. Yeah, I think the problem is is that in this room we, we are people who. <laughs> <laughs> comprise a very uh, a very narrow realm of uh, of popular music lover you know right. in that rough indie indie rock alt rock sort of sphere and in the music buying or music listening public is often not buying anymore uh is is so much larger than that especially right. in, in what we're into is is tends to be fairly far outside of the pop mainstream well and, and i suspect it's very different for some well and what you said mainstream. earlier um being that you like um you're you're not the guy who's like get off my lawn kids i guess i feel like now more than any time in my life it's been easier to ignore what is popular music than Mm -hmm. ever i mean i think before 
you were so beholden to a record store and you were so beholden to the radio that like for the first time I don't know I I don't know what's popular and I in fact mm-hmm. went out of my way last summer to figure out what it what was because I was like this is I'm totally ignorant yeah I what, see the iTunes charts and I'm like I, I don't who know are, I, right. who is, I have no idea <laughs> well, what and do you is. think that's a function of age or do you think that's a function of self selection oh yeah, I think both I, I think it's you know it's an element of just the way the way people are buying music you don't mm-hmm. there's not as many you know, instant sellers anymore. And well, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, they announced that catalog sales uh, are outpacing new music. Oh, sales. really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. And so people are buying. You know, their their tastes are getting much wider. You know, they're discovering much. They're they're discovering more different things. But one, the idea of that one universal. You know, there's never going to be another thriller again, or you know something. What about the Gautier? Come on! I don't even know what that is. <laughs> really, you don't? I mean, I've, heard, I, I've seen the name, and I that I know no, no it's idea. It's the song that I feel yeah, like, even if you, you are it in, everywhere, it's everywhere. Oh, okay. It's all of the time, and it's one of those things. Like, if you don't, I it, it it was like I hadn't heard it. Like, you know, it broke sometime in the spring, right? And there were a couple of months where I didn't hear it, and then I then I heard it, and then it was you're in a cab. Then it's I on. couldn't it's, hear it's, it. You can't stop. All right, I'll have to go. I'll have to go like YouTube it so yeah. I know what yeah. it is because I've seen good. it. Like, I have good. no idea. But, the, but on it, that in that vein, you know, that's what's selling is the song, not right. the album. Sure, and and I think the thing about that song is that it it was so popular so quickly that I feel right. like it became hated immediately right. as well. Oh, right, like it was such a fast life cycle of this is played everywhere to I hate it's it, universally everyone right. hates this song. It's a new Macarena. It's your <laughs> it's a quintessential one hit wonder kind yeah. of song. And just, you, know, you listen to it you're like this is a this it is it's a great song. A good song. It's a great song. But I don't think I need to hear anything else that guy ever does. <laughs> uh, now no. I, I, now like, I have to listen. But that yeah. whole his like his body of work is perfectly served by that one track. Well, and I think part of the, re- the way I mean, and it, I do think self selection in addition to age is, is is more important than age because there is so much synergy in the um, in the entertainment industry because. Mm-hmm. Universal Music Group is also NBC and Comcast, right. Right. and the the cross hybridization of all these things to make sure that those you know their their top pop bands are getting onto television and getting onto shows or American Idol or whatever it happens right. to be. It's it's so rife that if you're watching, I think the Nielsen Top Ten, you're gonna you're going to be exposed to the Billboard Top Ten. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, think watch, shock- <laughs> I don't watch I think the Nielsen Top Ten. More, I think shockingly more than like my my idea of when people last used TV as the main way to get music was like the Ed Sullivan Show. I mean, the idea that right that now, I mean, I agree. I think like Saturday Night Live is a great example. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people over forty get a lot of their music from that right. situation. Yeah, and, and and increasingly, like Saturday Night Live is trailing. It used to be on the. I mean. 30 years ago on the forefront right. and now it tends to trail the pop trends right. rather than being on the front of it but I think they're still right whether you watch Conan or uh, Jimmy Kimmel or uh, or Late Night I mean they all still kind of break bands you haven't heard of and you might like I, actually I, I got into Meyer Hawthorne Seeing him on uh, on Conan O'Brien, and you're just going to shake your head. I don't know who know. that is. I don't. Kind of a neo neo R and B, uh, sort of that '70s style of R and B. But he he was a DJ, of course, who then decided to start cutting his own tracks and ends up you know cutting his own albums. And I, I like it. I mean, a lot of people are haters, but uh, okay. but I was it was seeing him on the Conan show. Then I'm like, oh wow! Looked him up on Spotify. 
and then and then ordered the CD. So I guess occasionally. So you are see you are getting new music. Oh, I am. I didn't say I wasn't. I was just trying to figure out where the new how things. You're getting it. How is it coming into my Saturday. into right. my sphere? So do you, do you actively do either of you? Are you actively trying to do that? I I think I'm more depending on just just sort of serendipity. Like if I come across something, like it seems like most of the bands I've been the new people I've discovered are people who get played on the podcasts I listen to. Mm-hmm. Like they'll they'll just use something. They'll use a particular artist for their interstitials, and I'll, I and that's where you know because that gives me the chance to actually hear it, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just reading about it or hearing someone talk about it. I don't. I'm not necessarily going as much out of my way to go. You know, oh, what's what's this thing on on Spotify or what have you. Um, a lot of the people I talk to um, aren't as big into music. You know, the, like it, we're we're all kind of in that same phase where we know what we like, and we've been kind of chasing that. You know, whatever ones, you know, whatever the vestiges of our youth once were, and we're kind of chasing those now. I do uh, not constantly and perpetually, and probably not as much as I did, you know, fifteen years ago. But yeah, I make I'm, I I I am paying some attention, and I I do go looking around, although it's it's not ever. Not ever intently, so I sort of I, I allow myself to be exposed to things. Yeah, it, it's kind of a yeah cultural osmosis. And then occasionally I'll do a deep dive. And all of a sudden, get kind of I'll be hip to the fact that some strain of of thing is out there. Such as such as sort of new uh, sort of the the R and B revivalism. Like what's being, the new thing that the kids like? The dubstep. Tried to figure out what that was. Couldn't right. couldn't do it. That is the oldest moment of my life. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand what this is. So I like looked at the Wikipedia article. Did not explain it. Tried to YouTube some things. Still don't understand. Oh, it's just it's just don't get it. Uh, what is it? The the oversimplification of uh, jungle and uh, drum and bass. Yeah, I was like, this is just it's this that. is just everything we've always been listening. to. I was kind of into drum and bass a decade ago. Well, it's not, but it, it's the complex. It's the breakbeats taken to ten. Yeah. Only at this point now, though, it's it's sort of it's the breakbeats taken to ten, but then everything else is oversimplified. I was like, this just sounds like everything that's still that's been playing for the last you know, now, fifteen why years. It's called bro step now. <laughs> So like Skrillex, yeah, right. That's pro yeah. step. Okay, why? Because it's it's now it's invaded the uh, Wrigleyvilles of the world. Oh, they those are the people because it used to be all like alternative kids who like. Well, that. right, it used to be like the kids deep, you know, who might go to raves or deep into. Do they have electronic. raves still? No, but no, those. But who might have? You know, okay, who might have gone to raves? Right, kids who are really into electronic. Do they dance have raver music. pants still? Do those exist? I don't think so. Don't those think didn't so. come back. No, good. That's good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little backpacks, <laughs> bottles of Tide. Yeah, we're like, that can all stay away. Um, yeah, yeah so pacifiers. I don't think there's. Well, still a thing. I mean, that's the new big news is how you know uh, electronic, uh, you know, EBM electronic right. body music is now is actually this huge multi million dollar industry, but without really anything resembling top ten hits. Mm-hmm. But they're well, filling yeah, I mean, up huge. You think huge, of Skrillet? Yeah, he yeah. doesn't even have a full length album. Right. He's released. You know, he's had an official EP or what have you, but. All of his stuff has come from playing clubs, but he's making oh, ten to fifteen million dollars a year. That's been true of a lot of DJs, like for a long right. Time. It's just that the DJ, the line between being a DJ and being an artist in your own right is yeah. now completely blurred. Right, yeah. and and that you know whether it's like a David Guetta or right. David Guetta, whatever. Well, his name those, is. I've seen him on those lists. Don't know what he yeah, does. Yeah, exactly. Don't know what he uh, does. It's a little. It's like a French version of House. 
Oh, okay. So not really my thing. Um, so it's interesting because the, the the revival of '90s fashion as well just coming up. That I think it's. I wonder if this groundswell of like revival bands. I mean, I think we think of it as like, oh, because we're willing to go out and pay for it. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because like no one is, re- no one in our generation or our age group is reviving '90s fashion. So right. that's just coming back too. Well, so our, I, wonder, I mean, when well, we were, my generation revived '60s fashion. Yeah, and when right. we were, I mean, I, I feel like our thing was '70s fashion. Right, it totally we was. Yeah, so, you know, so and, and certainly anyone from the that, '70s. There needs to be kind of a. a up distance, yeah, a distance, you know, a period in which the the trend dies, but then people need to rediscover it, right, on their own, and that's where it gets re reconstructed. I'm just glad I can wear a flannel shirt again. <sighs> that's great, isn't it? <laughs> it's good. It's good. And and yeah, I didn't stop wearing Doc Martens. No, they're just comfortable shoes. Just, you know, yeah. kind of. It's getting to the point where uh, fashion. Well, uh, as much as I know about fashion, which is next to zip nil. But it seems to be it becomes so uh, just like music, it's become so so splintered mm-hmm. that it seems like just about any any one thing can kind of stay alive. And not, it's only when you it's only in, when you get things into a full combination that does someone go, wait a second, right? <laughs> now or, now you just look silly. And in that same vein, something doesn't have you don't have to take on all of the elements of one particular style. Yeah. To in fact, it's feel how it sense of, right, and it, it's more you know you're exposed to all of these different elements and can piece them together. Well, and I think if you were actually alive in the time that it w- existed, it's really funny to see it now. I, I mean, just you're like. Those two things don't go together. Right. Like that thing is from like 1987, and that thing's from 1995. No one would be wearing those two things together. Um, but it's all in, in this ages of neon mm-hmm. stuff. Just one big blender. Yeah, but so I wonder. I mean, I guess we think of this 90s like band revival as sort of audience driven, but I wonder if it's just part of this whole. Right. Well, and I think you know, in some ways. I'm, I'm reaching the point where I'm finally able to see the pattern that existed there that exists. And, you know, before I was, you know, I was part of the, the beginning part of that curve. And now that I, I'm seeing it from the, the, the other end of it, you get a different, you just get a different level of perspective. Right. Well, because I mean like all of the Eagles revival was mm-hmm. in that nineties period when yeah. all that seventies stuff came back. I mean, it seems new to you when you discover it, and now right. you're just like, "Oh, well, you know, that's just what people do." Right. <laughs> they they realize there's money to be made. Right. <laughs> and perhaps even more than when they when when the they first time. Well, not always, not necessarily the first time, but maybe more than when they were kind of on when when they were on the under end of their peak. Right. Like I don't know the mm-hmm. Eagles story well enough to well, know. Well, yeah, what I know, like Coverdale Page came back. Like all that stuff was in the nineties. Or Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. Aerosmith. Oh yeah, that was. Which was really late eighties, but again? early nineties. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, but I think that that what they were able to do was come back more popular than when they went out. Maybe yeah. not as popular at their very first at, at their at the height of their a, power. They speak to a different audience. I mean, yeah. you have the Aerosmith of the seventies versus you know the, the 90s. right. And when I saw Aerosmith, the MTV I was era, nineteen years old. Right. right. Well, and then you have like bands playing side by side on the same night as their influences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so maybe that's again why it's like the Black Crows open up for Aerosmith. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> that was Black Crows before anyone knew who they were. Yeah, they're opening for Aerosmith, so. Yeah, on the uh, pump tour. 
<laughs> all right, I think when we're when we've gotten all the way to Aerosmith, Aerosmith. and Pump, yeah, I think that's a good sign. <laughs> it's a good sign that we have uh, that we have exhausted all. Well, we need to remind everybody that uh, you know if you have any comments about this, we we will we will address them. Yeah, Critiques. I'm particularly interested in hearing where people feel they are on that spectrum, right? Yeah. And seeing it as an arc, you know, an age a, group arc. Yeah. Um, you know, do you feel like this is a pattern that's been repeating itself, or is it? Does being aware of that pattern allow it, force it to take on different qualities? You know, what? What do you think? Well, and I think especially if you're beating that, how you're doing it. Like, what, I mean, I guess, like I said, I'm very pro-Pandora. I like that works for me. Um, And also this idea of, like, going to the dollar bin and picking Mm -hmm. up five CDs works for me. Um, But what what other ways are people getting around that? Yeah, so leave us a comment at the website, selloutpodcast.com, or send us an email, jpsellout at gmail.com. Or if you can squeeze it into a few 140-character tweets... Sellout Podcast Twitter. Yeah, at or, Sellout Podcast. Or uh, on the Facebooks. We oh, yes. Uh, we got a page on the Facebooks. So if you just search for uh, Jenny and Paul Sellout. Or if you would like to explain to me <laughs> what dubstep is, or, or recommend. <laughs> I think that's a case where you may want to limit it to 140. Yeah. <laughs> we, no, well, we could put I'll you read, on as a special read, guest to I'll talk about dubstep. I'll read an essay where you explain dubstep to an old person. We can Skype you in. (laughs) We can Skype you in to explain dubstep. (laughs) And I'm the old person? Right. Well, no, you go to like a... You you go to to like a high school. You know, kids are coming out. Say, hi, I promise I'm not creepy. Just uh, explain dubstep to me. I'm hip. I have pink hair. Come on. Explain dubstep to me. Explain dubstep to us. (laughs) And with that, we say... Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Toby. Thank you. Thank you.